This episode of Awards Chatter is brought to you by Universal Television, presenting Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva follows a one-hit wonder 90s girl group who attempts a comeback while hilariously navigating family and relationships, plus the joys and pains of middle age. The show stars Sarah Bareilles, Renee Elise Goldsbury, Paula Pell, and Busy Phillips. Don't miss the series critics call the funniest show on television. Girls 5 Eva is now streaming on Netflix and is for your Emmy consideration for Outstanding Comedy Series and all other eligible categories. Hi everyone and thank you for tuning in to the 17th episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards Podcast. I'm the host Scott Feinberg and on this episode I am joined by a legend who is still very active in her career. She's the actress Charlotte Rampling, and she is celebrating her 50th year in the film business. She has done great work in both American and European cinema, dating back to Georgie Girl and The Night Porter, right through The Verdict and Swimming Pool, and most recently, in 45 years, Andrew Hayes' British film about an older couple shaken up by some news that they receive on the eve of their 45th anniversary. Both Rampling and her co-star, Tom Courtney, won Silver Bear Awards at the Berlin Film Festival, one of the few, if ever, times that one film has captured both acting awards. And in my view, it deserves it. It's a divisive film. Not everybody likes the pace or the subject matter, but I was captivated by it when I caught up with it at the Telluride Film Festival. And many people, including me, think that Charlotte Rampling might well land the first Oscar nomination of her career. It's kind of amazing that she's never been recognized before with not only an Oscar nomination, but even a Golden Globe nomination. She has received a SAG nomination for a 2012 TV miniseries, but all in all, it's kind of unbelievable that someone who is as experienced and revered by her colleagues as Rampling is has never really received much appreciation from her industry. That may well change in the coming days. On Wednesday morning, we're going to learn this year's Screen Actors Guild Award nominees, and on Thursday morning, the Golden Globe Award nominees, and then next week on the 14th, we will find out the Critics' Choice Award nominees, which I happen to be a voter for. And my guess is that most, if not all, of these groups, particularly the Critics' Choice group, will recognize Rampling with a nomination. Then we'll have to see how she fares against two very young women who are competing in the same category for great performances, Rooms Brie Larson and Brooklyn Saoirse Ronan. That dynamic might not be unfavorable for Rampling. We will see. In the meantime, though, let's recap the last few days since our previous episode. There has been no shortage of what we like to call pseudo-events, people putting themselves out there for events that are transparently about promoting their chances for Oscars. There were holiday parties at the home of Fox Chief Jim Giannopoulos and Universal Chief Donna Langley. There was a luncheon for Mississippi Grind's Ben Mendelsohn and will be another one on Wednesday for Concussion's Will Smith. There was a special screening and dinner for Charlie Kaufman and Duke Johnson's Anomalisa, which drew everyone from Jack Black and Aziz Ansari to Jacqueline Bissett. And there were numerous gatherings on behalf of The Martian, most of them featuring both Ridley Scott and and Matt Damon. So there's no rest for the weary as we head into the home stretch of phase one of the award season pre-Oscar nominations, and it looks like we will go into the holidays with a race that is still too close to call in almost every major category. But for now, let's go to the conversation with one of the clear front runners for the Best Actress Oscar, Charlotte Rampling. Thank you again for doing this. And I thought before we dive into 45 Years, which I loved, I saw it in Telluride. I had not had the chance to see it in Berlin, where I know you guys first made the big splash. But before we get into all of that, I hope I can just go back a bit and talk about your 
amazing life and career. And so to begin with, did you go to the movies as a child? And, and if you did, were there any that particularly influenced you? I didn't go so much because we, we lived outside uh, when I was cinema-going age because I was a military family and we moved in different places and I was, we lived in the suburbs of London and there was really there was one cinema and I used to go and see black-and-white movies. Mm. I remember old black-and-white movies uh, and I especially liked... Uh, I remember I especially liked Catherine Hepburn in, 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 as, as, a, as an actor. I just yeah. remember I just thought her, her spirit and her fire was something really admirable. I loved that. Sure. But I wasn't thinking of being in cinema then. And when did performing, in any sense of the word, first begin for you? And then when did it become serious? It it became it came by chance when I think I was about sixteen, and I got a part just just by chance in Richard Lester's The Knack. They were looking for girls, looking for pretty girls to sort of just you know have very small parts, no dialogue or anything. So and I was in that, and I thought, oh, this is sort of quite interesting. And uh, then I had some photographs taken by my sister's boyfriend mm-hmm. and he said but you're very photogenic you know Charlotte I said oh yeah am I it was all <laughs> sounds sort of quite sort of odd but it's, it was all very innocent I said oh yes and I said well maybe I'll sort of maybe I'll give my photographs to an agent mm-hmm. isn't that what happens <laughs> and it did happen and yes. I got a screen test for the Bolting Brothers and I got a lead part in a comedy that they were that they were filming so it happened very quickly Quickly and not, then I went to school, but then I actually got the door open very quickly. Now, early on, my, from what I've read, your your father had perhaps not been thrilled with your initial desire to pursue, was it, was it singing at first, right? First it was singing, yeah. Yeah, and so he sent you to secretarial yes. school? And and so it just seems like it was fate because it wasn't it while you were there that some of this stuff that you're talking about happened. The first wasn't it that uh, you did you had an ad, yeah, that was right. No, that yes, that was that was right after secretarial school. Okay. My first job, which was an interim in a in an advertising agency, yeah. I was spotted. Yeah, and then modeling itself. Uh, you, you've talked uh, in other interviews about the fact that while obviously you're you're very beautiful, it was not the look necessarily of the time. That's right. What so was I, that? What well, you... the look was the time was more like Jean Shrimpton and Twiggy and with wide eyes and. The, the 60s look wasn't really me because yeah. we're talking about the 1960s now. Sure. It wasn't – I had these sort of heavy eyelids and I had this more sort of, you know, this – I don't know, a, more more of a sort of a dramatic face which didn't really suit the uh, the aliveness of the 60s look. Right. It was more the Bacall in the 40s, it was more right? the Exactly. <laughs> it was more vampy and a bit dangerous. Right, right. <laughs> now, when, once you started acting with those – initially those small and – uncredited stuff and then I guess the big break would have been Georgia Girl Mm -hmm. at any point did you quote-unquote study or was it just sort of a a natural gift of yours that you could do this I when I got the the lead part with the Bolting Brothers which Mm -hmm. was the first lead part and I did the film I then thought I I was with professional actors at all you know who who, who had incredible careers already and I Mm -hmm. felt almost like guilty (laughs) so I went to a I went to a school at the Royal Court Theatre the Royal Court Theatre was really in vogue then still is Mm -hmm. a very 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 avant-garde experimental theatre at the time and so they had courses there and so I did did some acting courses so I knew a little bit like what you were supposed to do if you know, in certain techniques of acting. <laughs> but very quickly I got other work. Right. So I didn't stay there too long. And, probably, and I thought, just... well, I think I'm just going to develop my own style. Yeah, <laughs> and best, maybe the best thing is to learn on the job, yeah. I think so, yeah. I was lucky enough to learn, have, have a job to learn on. Sure. <laughs> now, Georgie Girl, first of all, like, I haven't been able to get the, the 
tune out of my head since uh, I started thinking about it this morning going over this. And I would like to ask how much that changed things and also how much it shaped things going forward, because there was, I gather, a perception that you were a very serious and maybe not carefree fun, you know, like like some of the others, maybe emanating out of that role. Is that true? That I was that why that, I, that because that the, the character isn't she was not the most lovable woman, right? She wasn't the most lovable, no, but she certainly knew her own mind or thought she knew her own yes. mind or wanted to wanted to live the life that she was choosing to live. Thank yes. you very much. <laughs> <laughs> now I imagine there were probably quite an unprecedented number of opportunities, mm. but you chose sounds like for a variety of personal and professional reasons, get out of town. That's a big decision. Yeah, it and was a big decision. But then, I, but then in my in my personal life, there was a tragedy, and that was what actually made the big change and decision happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really later on in life you see that when when you have when you have radical changes in your life, it, it is because there is a life a life event that mm-hmm. makes you do it. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have. And so many things would have been different because yeah. it was in Italy, wasn't it, mm-hmm. that you first connected with Visconti. Exactly, yeah. And was that the initial opportunity that brought you to Italy, especially? I know you wanted out of England, but was that why you went to Italy? No, that wasn't the first one. Okay. The first one was I went out of Italy. Uh, I went to Italy, but I got a, I got an offer uh, for another film before that, mm-hmm. which I did, and it was because of that film that Visconti sort of flashed on me and mm-hmm. and da di da di da Right. And you, you, you've also said that it was probably a good thing that you were not based in England at that time because the sorts of roles that were in vogue at the time for British in British cinema were not particularly of interest to you. What was going on there? Well, they they could have been, but they weren't. I mean, I wasn't getting offered them. Mm-hmm. I guess I wasn't the right look again. Mm-hmm. I was not perhaps the kind of person that they wanted, or I was not, I, I didn't sort of fit in perhaps completely. You know, I wasn't sure. But it, it, it certainly, when I, when I went to Italy, there was something very special happened there right. for me. So... And what, just the you know one last thing about England was that I mean I wonder if you might have been more at home with the kitchen sink era that just preceded you right than during that when you came you were saying it's all quote and I actually hadn't heard this word before I love it Dolly Bird roles at that time that that's it wasn't that's not your that's not your well it uh, wasn't so it was yes exactly the kitchen sink probably would have been would have been more. Then, but then, 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 yeah, I was, I was actually not. You see, it, it's yeah, it's interesting what you're saying because you are, as an actor, you slot a- absolutely into the time that you're living and the time, and the and the types of films and the genre of the films that changes. Yeah. So if you're not the genre for the type at that time, right, you sort of miss. Why do you think Visconti was so drawn to a very young and at that time relatively inexperienced young actress? What, what did he see in you that made him such a believer? He saw something behind my eyes, he said, because I asked him that very same question because mm-hmm. I thought that I was completely unsuitable for the role that he was living. So I so told the great Visconti, who I wasn't too quite aware <laughs> who I was speaking to, why would you want me to play this role? <laughs> and, and, he, and he very quietly said... Um, because I, because I said, but I, you know, I'm, I'm too young, this, and I haven't got the experience. He said, it's all there. I can see it. All there behind your eyes. Mm. I'll dress you. I'll make you up. I'll put you in the role, and you will do it for me because I know that you have it in you. Wow. That's a nice vote of confidence. That was sort of what I needed at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and you also, on that movie, met somebody else who was, I think, very important in your life going forward, which was Dirk Bogard. And can you tell us what it was that happened there and going forward with him? Why was he so important to you? I think he took he and and Tony, who was living, who was living in the great love of his life, that, that those two people became to me like 
they became sort of my almost like well, he became like my master rather like Visconti was I think he they, they both were they became at a time in my life when I really needed guidance and I needed stability and I needed a sort of protecting a protecting loving feeling around me uh, and that's what they were, that's what they were able to give me both of them you know and so I assume it was a positive enough experience that when you were then recommended for the night porter by or or solicited for it sought out for it by Bogard uh, that's quite a compliment in itself that he thought of you. Do, have you heard from him or had you at some point heard from him how that all came about? Because he he had the script of Night Porter three years before. Okay. And he was, wasn't, he was a bit worried about the subject, but they couldn't find a girl. There was no girl that seemed suitable at that time. Again, mm-hmm. because, you know, you, the times right. sometimes don't bring up the right person. When he met me and when we started becoming friends and, and on, on The Damned, he brought the screen. He just had a he had a flash, and he thought maybe it, maybe maybe. So he he brought the screenplay out again, started reading it, and became more and more convinced that I was the girl. And the fact that he'd met the girl and he wanted to do it, and so he called up Liliana Cavani and said, "I found the girl. You know, I'm going to I'm going to offer it to Charlotte Rampling. Is what do you think?" And she says, oh, "I don't know. Charlotte Rampling's not known. We don't know. What about the production?" <laughs> he says, "Well, I'm not going to do the film without her." Wow, wow, that's great. Well, before I even ask you about that movie, I have to ask you about the look, because this is something that I believe he coined this term. And when was that first uh, said, and what does it mean to you? What what do you understand it to mean? Well, it was also coined for Lauren Bacall, wasn't it? Yes. And I've always been told that I looked like... Mm -hmm. There was was a certain style and familiarity in the eyes and things between Lauren Bacall and I, maybe. But this, this, yeah, this, this... this one, he he just rather like when Visconti, you know, just decided that behind my eyes was this whole world that he knew that I could mm-hmm. do it. Dirk's, Dirk had the same feeling about what I what what, what I gave off. Mm-hmm. Do you like that? That sounds or? a bit odd. What I gave <laughs> off. What you know? What, what emanated? Yeah. Or, uh, well, what happens behind your eyes? Sure. 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 Well, the portal to the soul, supposedly for acting. It's you know for acting. Yeah. You know, and 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 there is. They always said there was this mystery, and there's this, you know, this whole world that you see behind. Yeah. Now, I, I don't know because I don't see it, but that's that's what was said. And do you like the do you like the phrase? When it's yes, used? of course yeah, I do. I think nice it's because it's it's very mysteriously interesting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the night porter really caused a, a ruckus, and for people who mm-hmm. haven't seen it yet hopefully maybe maybe they'll see maybe 45 years will be the for some people the the first one of your films they see this seems to be the one though that comes up the most in in conversation about you do you find that yes absolutely can you share i mean for people get people there's a big commotion over you know 50 shades of gray and things today this would have this would have blown those out of the. Mm. This did blow those out of the water, relative, mm. you know, in terms of controversy. And in fact, it was advertised as the most controversial film of our time. What, in your words, was it about? The, 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 simp, the simple part of the story was was the the. It, it's a relationship between uh, a girl who is in a concentration camp and her her um, what would you call it her. Uh, her, the office that's looking after her, right? The Nazi who is actually, you know, controlling her. So it's it's a it's a thing about domination, right? About about the master and the slave, in a way you could say. So it goes back to the the very very old haunting relationship of 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 
somebody dominating you and, mm-hmm. and, and you and you and, uh, and you being submissive to that domination and that i think more than and then obviously it was put it, it was put in the whole nazi con uh, context which made it extremely delicate and sensitive and 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 and, and dangerous to actually even use uh, this as this type of uh, framework to illustrate a story like this, even though even though this was a true story, even though obviously these things do happen, mm-hmm. even though, but it was the first time we were really exposing these stories um, of of um, of the concentration camps. I don't think we'd actually we hadn't sort of talked even talked mm-hmm. so much about them. You know, we didn't. It was not something that we were at that time that the film came out. We're actually too happy to talk about. And here was this film literally flaunting it. Now, did you have any reservations about taking it on, knowing that it was going to court so much controversy? I don't actually think of the consequences, probably good and a bad thing, <laughs> but I certainly didn't with this. I, mm-hmm. I just thought that it was the most compelling story. It was very, I mean, dangerous, obviously, in a sense of, of actually what it was bringing up. But for me, having not really been allowed to know what happened at that time, I just thought that this, I was so drawn to it, there's no way I wasn't going to do it. And what was the experience of making it? Like it sounds like from from what I've read, you were thrown right into the deep end off the right from the minute you got there. Yeah, we started with the the scenes in the in the camp where uh, where really you know things strange things were happening. Yeah, we started right there. So after that, certainly, if not even before, you you again, I would I would assume had a lot of interest across both sides of the of the pond for your work. And yet you seem to have made a decision, maybe emanating out of that experience, maybe for some other reason, that you were going to kind of resist Hollywood. The place, the type of movies that we associate with it, even the sorts of perks that come with it, because it just doesn't, didn't seem to be your cup of tea. With the one exception, I know you've, you've kind of joked that Orca was the one paycheck movie, maybe, which everyone's entitled to one or two. But what is it about Hollywood that early on you knew you didn't want a part of? Because I had some very unhappy experiences here. That was all, but not really because it was Hollywood, but it was just a very tricky time in my life. And I was, and I felt safer in Europe. I felt safer, I I felt safer, I I just felt it was too foreign here, Mm -hmm. bizarrely, although, you know, everyone speaks the same language, but I just felt safer in in Europe, so it really was a. It, it really was more than anything, just a life, a life um, choice. And when you say safer, you mean physically, professionally. When had you been here? I was here in the very late sixties and early seventies. Okay, living I, here. Yeah, I'm not. I yes, I was working here and living, but mm-hmm. not not settled here. Mm-hmm. But I was staying quite a, on on. on I, think I made three films in a trot actually mm. uh, here. Um, but hadn't settled here. Mm-hmm. Hadn't settled here. No, all I just um, there, I, I I just felt I needed to be in Europe. But that was it was, it was not so much what was happening here. It mm-hmm. could have been here. It could have been New York. It could have been you know in, in any other country. I just I just needed to be somewhere. Uh, yeah, I was I was not I was not a very happy girl at that time. Mm-hmm. So I just preferred to be in England or in France. And then I think I got when did I yeah. So I ended up in France, I think. Yeah. Sure. Now there's this uh, sense, and I, I wonder if I'm the only one that's had it or if you hear this a lot, but I sometimes forget where you're actually from because I associate you with France and with England and with, with a lot of parts of Europe more so than I actually couldn't remember if you were 
and you've lived in in throughout Europe, right? At, throughout yes. at various times yeah. of your life. Yeah. Where yeah. do you what do you consider your nationality to be? I know what it is. Yeah. It's, it's completely English. Yes. British. Well, English, not British. It's English. But you live. And I well, born, born, raised in England. Lived most of my life in England, and then and now I've been living in Paris the last uh, twenty five years. So it's so it's very much Europe. Yes. Uh, and then I lived in Italy for quite a long time, making Italian films. And I actually, so I didn't actually realize you're living in Paris now. Are you or have you heard as everybody that you know? Okay, from all yeah. this stuff. Good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So. How do you pick your roles? Because I had to wonder what it's like when you see a script like Max, My Love, and it's calling perhaps for things that on paper sound really out there, and yet you make it very believable. But it's certainly not something that looks like a sure bet, critically, commercially, anything. So in, using that as a prism into the question or a, a way into it, can you talk about if, is there a strategy when you are contemplating what you want to do? I think the strange and the bizarre and the unusual and the, uh, you know, the, the, the road less traveled are, are, are the ones for me. And the stranger that they are and the more bizarre is, 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 is I'm deeply attracted to them. And I always feel that I like to go counter, um, counter current mm-hmm. as well. If somebody, if, if, if the whole, if everyone's walking down one lane, I want to come walk down the other lane. Now that's just a trait of character. That's something I think I've always had since I was quite, quite <laughs> small. So my mother tells me. <laughs> um, and so I, I, those things I just find fascinating. I find it, it, you, you come in from a different angle with these films. You, you, you see things from a different way. So I can make, as you say, mm-hmm. the story of me being in love with a chimpanzee, you know, completely natural and right. ordinary because, I mean, why not? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and certainly the, the, the Lars von Trier and, and, and yeah. those, you know, they're, they're out there. But what would be the most, in your view, what's the most mainstream movie that you've done? Uh, the most mainstream. Um, oh, I've done quite a few. You know, I'm uh, like Wings of a Dove. That's mm-hmm, mainstream. Mm-hmm. I mean, the story, those mm-hmm. sort of films. They're, they're nice too. Yeah. I mean, I don't only want to right. go for the special <laughs> and the sort of and the freaky and the strange. But you know, if there is one, I might consider it. <laughs> and but and just one one follow up about that is that you said, "quote I generally don't make films to entertain people. I choose the parts that challenge me to break through my own barriers." So. That's interesting because I don't know how many people, how many other people will just up and say, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. especially interested in you having a good time watching my movies if I'm going to do what I want to do. Yeah, again, it's, it's, again, it's about if you, if you really want to have me somewhere, you're going to have me really as I am. Right. I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to sort of play act either for mm-hmm. you. I mean, I'll be acting, but I'm not going to be play acting. I'm <laughs> going to be actually doing this for real because mm-hmm. this is something that concerns the way I think about the world, maybe, or the way I, it's ethically, it's ethically, you know, co- coherent with the person that I that I am, and this I like. This mm-hmm. is where I go. This is where I like to go. Mm. What are the biggest differences between American cinema and European cinema at, for for the actress? European cinema tends to go further. They tend they tend to be they tend to dare to go into more deeply psychological areas. And not worry too much that actually then you know either going to be boring their their <laughs> audiences or confusing their audiences, but they like to they like they like to spend time you know on a bit of good old analysis. And it seems just less concern overall with with 
commercial considerations. And the, yeah, the commercial considerations are, are really are my, much smaller. Hmm. And you know, remember, if, if it's if it's a French film, it's going to be in French language. It's not going to hit anyway mega markets, so it's a smaller market. Right. England can they can join you know the American markets and actually you know have have big distributions mm-hmm. of films, but but in Europe generally the the films you know we have you have to realize that then you're not going to have big distributions. So therefore, they can they they can allow for subjects that don't have to be you know so widespreading. And in your experience, which of your movies? I know we've said that maybe the one that has the the most admirers, in a sense, may be the Night Porter. Of now, now perhaps for mm. you know, we'll mm. see. But which has had the widest? Which had the widest reach? Do you think which has been seen by the largest number of people? Based on your your analysis, um, Swimming Pool, I know had quite a good. Um, in, yes. um, um, here we're talking now about American release, aren't we? Well, we could talk whatever. I mean, what Ma- just, mainly sure. Yeah, because let's well that that limit. let's say Europe joined with America sure, then because sure. it's yeah I would say swimming pool yeah interesting mm. I hope we can just mention a few of these these great roles that that you did do in Hollywood and just the first thought or two that goes through as you look back on them farewell my lovely oh yeah that was uh, that was a beauty that really was a beauty mainly because of my because of Robert Mitchum <laughs> but also it was it was I think beautifully done the film. I had great style, and it was, you know, it was like Raymond Chandler is just, you know, and Marlowe and Raymond Chandler is, is, is cinematographic magic, and I think it worked. Absolutely, and mm. by the way, it seems like that's, again, if you were of the 40s, that's what you would have been doing, the, the film noir probably stuff, so that was... So a, that was, I was really, I was you, in my right place, yes, wasn't I? Yes, you got your chance, yeah. <laughs> got my chance. Um, Stardust Memories. Stardust Memories was, was, I think, one of, I think that's one of Woody Allen's finest films I really do certainly not obviously not because mm. I'm in it but I think it's a it was certainly not liked at all at the time mm. I remember the, the, but it was it, it the the meeting I had with with Woody at that time Woody he was at that stage he was just in between relationships from Diane Keaton to Mia Farrow mm-hmm. and I was I was playing his ideal woman in the film we had this extraordinary relationship because he we were just so happy together it was like children sort of playing and he allowed me to do so much I think it changed after for him, because I, people say that it's not quite the same, but then that doesn't matter. I had an extraordinary relationship with him. What is Woody Allen's ideal woman? Me. <laughs> no, but Woody what, Allen's. You know yeah. what I mean? What is it? What, what no. kind of a woman is this? When I say me, that was silly. Yeah. What I meant, why, the reason he chose me was, right. was I could play somebody who believably would be neurotic 28 days of the month and absolute. A, a dream woman for the, for the other three. <laughs> that's terrific. The Verdict, another mm, yeah. one that's terrific. Another one terrific. Again, an extraordinary meeting with, with one of the finest actors in, in, in the U.S., Paul Newman, and one of the great directors too. And the film became, has become, I don't know, the film is, people are always talking about this mm-hmm. film because it keeps coming back onto television. It yes. keeps coming, but people see it again and again. It's, it's one of the great, one of the great films about that subject. Absolutely, yeah. and I always the two scenes that immediately come to mind for me the the slap, but also yeah. when you have to give back the check, the yeah, the, your your face, your whole way you played that is yeah. kind of haunting. It's yeah, amazing. again in the silence. Yeah, not yes. saying a word. Yes. Mm. Well, that's actually let's let's touch on that for a moment because whether it's that certainly forty five years mm. and many others in between, mm. there's not a lot of dialogue for your character necessarily. Mm. So I I guess I wondered. That could be jarring for some actors. They need something to say or do or think about. You seem right at home like that. I, th- 
I mean, have I chosen those films or they have chosen me, but I've done them? It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not by chance, you know, that I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. And that I'm not very good with words, really. Probably better now, but I certainly wasn't then. I didn't want them, didn't want to have too many words. I found that, that it, it, it just, it, it, it wasn't, yeah, I... I Almost if I could do a film without words, I would have liked it, yeah. even from way back. Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, that comes back to the yeah. eyes. The silent actor yeah. says they all had the yes, eyes. So. Yeah. After taking a bit of time off, I guess, at the end of the 80s, you, Wings of the Dove, you mentioned, is the one mm-hmm. that sort of, I think, the, the mm-hmm. big return in a way. Was that, uh, although you, I, I, you hate the word comeback, I have heard. Is that true? Well, it's a heavy concept. <laughs> but then again, actually, it's very right because you can keep coming back. Right. You can you can disappear, and I know I disappear quite a lot, right? So you can disappear, and then you... So if you do appear again, you come back. <laughs> you come back. It's better than the alternative, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. Last thing before 45 years is that you've had this really interesting and successful collaboration with Francois Ozon. Yeah. Let's so, just remind people, Under the Sand in 2000, Swimming Pool 2002, Heading South 2005. Mm-hmm. Am I forgetting others? I think those are the... Angel. Angel, Angel of course. Small, yep. And then Jeune et Jolie. But those were small little apparitions in yes. those ones. Yeah. Uh, why do you two work so well together? Just because some with some people you do really work well. And, mm-hmm. and it's, 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 it's one of those you know, magical things that you can't quite explain. It's like falling in love, really. Mm-hmm. So why am I falling in love with this guy and not that guy? You know, he, he's the one I really like the look of, and right. now I'm falling in love with this one. <laughs> it, but Because you're pulled to the people, and right. there, is, there is a form of, again, silent mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. that makes you don't even have to talk about it. You know, you sort of, it's like you, you're both playing the same tune. Interesting. Mm. So how did you first hear about 45 Years, and were you surprised to find that the person who would be directing this movie hasn't even been around for 45 years. <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's lovely that, yeah, I think it's so lovely. And, and there's, there's, something, there's something so right about it all, because it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's the sharing of, 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 th- of things that you don't know about. You know, being older means that somebody is watching you because you're older, and they don't sort of, I mean, it's not knowing about it, but they're just sort of fascinated by it. Because it's because it's what they're going to become. Mm-hmm. So you you just is it one of these where script comes to the agent? Do you want to do this or or did it, mm-hmm. what, did it, just yep. the usual process? Yeah, just the usual process. It came through. And you did you immediately respond? To I it? immediately responded. I could just smell it just right from the first few pages. Of the, oh my god, <laughs> this is for me. And, and what about the character jumped out at you? Just what she was going through, what she, what she, the journey that she was going to be on. Mm-hmm. The journey that she was going to be on, having lived, you know, this life. We don't quite know how she lived this life for 45 years. It seems to be really good and they yeah. love and why not? Lovely and they're still together and the companionship is extraordinary and it's, it's cozy, it's, it's good. And then, boom, something happens. Something comes through the post and little by little, the, oh, it all shifts, mm. and it all shifts. So the ground that you actually thought was pretty solid starts to shake. Did you know Tom Courtney before this? N- yeah, briefly, but not yeah. really. Because one of the things that so many people have remarked upon is that I think we would have, with the, with the performances you guys gave, we would be deeply invested if we'd never seen you before. But there's almost an added investment because the audience has such a rich history with both of you going back so many decades and I I wonder what you make of that A of him being cast opposite you and B of that sort of subtextual impact for the viewer 
I didn't realize that the subtextual would, would work as well as it's working, but in fact, it's really interesting that they that they have that they take this on board. But obviously, they will because we do come with our baggage. Every actor comes with the baggage. You can't sort of not, and it usually is fine and it serves. It's not going to disserve. And here with two of them coming, and we both started in the 60s and we both have these parallel, we've had these parallel lives who are very similar. So you could actually imagine them fusing, imagine them being together actually all yeah. that time. And I could imagine. And in fact, the choice of Tom we made with Andrew because Andrew wanted me to make the choice mm-hmm. with him. And when, when, when we decided, we said, Tom, and I said, yes, absolutely, because I knew somehow instinctively, again, mm-hmm. instinctively, that I could easily fall in love with this man and think that I could live 45 years That's with him. <laughs> now, had you actually gone anywhere down the line with any other actors, or was, it, was he yeah. the first one? First one. Wow. Mm. Now, did you, Tom and Andrew, or just you and Andrew, ever sit down and, and sort of talk through what's really going on in, in these characters' heads? Or, or were you left entirely on your own to just kind of read between the lines of the script? You can do, you can do many things. You can, you can invent your stories if you want, together or alone, or, or you can workshop things we could have because we were in the house, we had the house, and we had all the time we wanted, all the time we wanted, but we had time to be able to, you know, to, to go through things, try things out, do scenes, because we were just in this one location. Mm-hmm. So we we did what we felt that we needed at any given moment, mm-hmm. and that's what was so good. We had the possibility of just of just having everything we needed if we needed it right. at, at, at any time. One of the other things that everybody says about this movie is how natural and believable it feels seeing these two the interactions. It feels like a couple that's been married for forty five years, like some of our parents and uh, mm. grandparents or whatever. And I guess one of the questions is obviously. That's good acting, but it's also is was there uh, was there time for rehearsal? Was there time for was improv welcome? Was there anything else that was done to facilitate that feel? I think because we had the time and we had six weeks and we were in the house and we and we actually filmed in chronological order. Oh, that's great! So, yeah, so we so every day and we were all living really very close to each other. We were very close, especially Tom and I. We were living in the same little bread and breakfast and. This, close together we got a breakfast together we could go to work together we were always together mm-hmm. and we wanted this so that we just it's just the familiar sort of everything happening together really and 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 this grew as we went along and so we felt that we needed a workshop we felt we needed a rehearsal we felt we needed more back you know talking about back we, we would just do it we but it was just the being together somehow and, and I think you learn very soon in in film work that you need to 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 grab things very quickly, you know, you need to just grab concepts very quickly. Grab like grab a concept of something you've, you've lived with forty five years, and I'm going to make believe everybody that 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 is what it is. Mm-hmm. And I believe and I believe it completely. And I'm living with this man for forty five years. Right. I believe it. Right. So they're going to believe it. So it's like a you know you just it is make believe. We're like we're like children. Like remember when we used to say, let's pretend. <laughs> And then when we pretend as a child, we completely pretend and we create our world. That's what we do. Was there one scene that gave you a particular challenge versus the others? Is there one that there was something you took took a while to crack for you? Well, the last scene was very difficult. Yeah, the very last scene, very difficult because I knew that so much depended on that scene. When when from, from when they get up from the, when she they get up from the table to dance, smoke gets in your eyes, starts to play, they go onto the dance floor, dance alone, then all the other people dance around them and little by little by little it comes to the end of the song and that's when 
that's when Kate sort of you don't know what's going to happen in the in what Kate's going to do, but it leads up to the, the final moment. And you knew when you were shooting that that where it ends with that sudden cut was where it was going to end. Or? Yeah, I mean. He, because that had been right from the beginning. It was in the screenplay, and I knew that, that that because the arc of the story went to that moment. So it was not going to have changed ever. It couldn't. And it was all in, and that was one take. He only wanted it in one take from when we got up. So it was a very long take yeah. right till the end, and it had to be done in one. So that was the, and, the, and, and, and what Kate had to register uh, about that last moment was, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. It was it was extraordinary moment because it was, it had to be sort of out of control. It had to be something inexplicable. It's one of the mm. greatest moments I've seen in a long time because, and it has everybody comes out of that movie debating what happened yeah, there, yeah. It's, which is very rare. I think the Michael Haneke movies and maybe a few other, yeah. not too many movies have mm. that effect. Did you know to your for yourself? Was there a specific intent of of what she was thinking there, where this is going, or was it uh, sometimes as viewers? We overanalyze what we're looking at, but I, did you have a something specific in your mind when that cut happens? No, because I didn't want to. So even though we did it quite a few times, obviously I didn't want to because I couldn't have it because I didn't know. Because Kate does not know when he's had when he's given this beautiful speech to her and he's fine and it's going to be all right and he loves and he's told her he loves her and it's it's okay mm-hmm. you know it's, it's all you know it's over yeah you know the, the crisis is over she knows that it's not because of what she's feeling she can't just suddenly. So she, so she maybe she's thinking when she's getting out. Well, maybe something can happen. Maybe, 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 maybe. But I don't know what. Some miracle can happen that will change it, and we're dancing. And but it doesn't. So, so it has to be for the for, from from an acting point of right. view, completely un unpremeditated because I don't know what's going to happen I don't know what expression will be on my face but the expression that will be on my face will, will be what I am that's what I'm going to convey to the audience that that's what I'm going to give them as their last chance to yes. understand or not to understand because Kate doesn't understand so it's it's a uh, it's it's so one of those so the issue is not settled it's not like no uh, yeah. <laughs> no no now in your own mind no. do you have a belief or a hope of what will follow after the credits start to roll for the, for these two people. Something's something's changed dramatically. Can I ever go sure. back? That you don't know. You don't know. No, you but never. You, you never you know? know when you can go back. You never know if you can go back. But you right. you know you have to go forward with it. So that's what she has to do. That's what that look is. She knows she has to go forward with it, and it's probably the last thing that, that she would ever want to do. But she has to. What's also interesting is that unlike most movies today, there's no, at least in my view and most people I've talked to, out-and-out bad guy. There's nobody. Nobody's to blame. Right. And that's what's so interesting because unlike caricaturized, you know, don't you think? I mean, that's a rare thing. How can you blame this guy? uh, She can't either. She's not blaming him. Right. And that's what's so beautiful, actually. She's not blaming him. Right. And so who do you blame? You blame well, the world, the life, the whatever, the stars, the moon, the, <laughs> whatever, you know. Why, why, why? There's never, you know, it's happened. Right. It's happened. <laughs> it's just nice to have a movie that actually makes you think these days, which unfortunately seems to be a, a rare and rarer thing. What did you make of the reception that this film got when it first premiered in Berlin? It's pretty, not only as a film, but as, for you both as individuals, it must have been pretty meaningful yeah it 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 was 
yeah, for want of using a word that's very much used, but in this case it's really true, it was awesome. Mm. Mm. And and for people who don't know, the Silver Bear for actor and actress, so Tom and, and you won, which is, I don't know if that's ever happened even before from the same movie, but... Very uh, rare, very rare. Yeah. yeah. And and since then, as it's been kind of coming out along the film festival circuit and you're getting feedback, and what has been the most interesting and the most meaningful reaction that you've gotten from people who've seen the film? Just that people are so profoundly taken in by what happens. And they have just followed these two right from the beginning. They have not left them a second, and they are totally... Um, it's like a, a real connection has happened, yeah. and a very moving one. People are, are, are profoundly... I mean, yesterday it was extraordinary after the, 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 the session here. It was just, it was just very, very moving mm. because they were so moved. What's the closest reaction to a movie prior to this one that, or the reaction to a movie prior to this one of, uh, that resembles this the most? You know, you've, uh, you've made a lot of movies. Which was the one that had a similar response, the most similar response? I think for me personally, um, would uh, it would have been Under the Sand, mm-hmm. my first film with Francois Ozon, which again was a it was about it was about a you know dis- a man dis- her husband disappearing. Mm-hmm. So it was all a very fragile storyline, very fragile, almost like this. Yeah. So in a way, these are fragile storylines, but they bring up from underneath. This is up from the ice, and this yeah. is and, and Under the Sand was yeah. up from just you know she they. They tell stories that seem to sink into people. You know, they're, they're telling stories that actually sink into people's psyche mm. and into their emo- own emotional experiences and bring up their own, uh, bring up um, reminiscences inside their own experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is wonderful when films do that. You can get that when you're reading books too, sometimes mm-hmm. like that. But in, in a film, if it does, it is very powerful because you have the visual. So you're actually, it, it live, you're in that. You know, they're, they're in my head, you know. Yes. And they're in Tom's head. But they're just following us. They're there. <laughs> well, on that point, I, I, I just have two more things. And one of them is, do you think that that sort of a movie is endangered? Because as you look, at least in this country, the, the major studios are not making original material very much. Mm. It's getting harder to finance indies. And it seems like more and more of our great actresses in particular are gravitating towards television, which is something you've done with Dexter and Broadchurch. And, I mean, is that is that where we're heading with this? Or do you think great actresses will always have somewhere to, to be a part of the cinema? I think the, I think 45 Years is, is, is a pointer of some sort. If a film like 45 Years have this effect, then there's no reason that others, not many, I mean, you know, not, not many film, you know, everything is quite unique, so we can't think there's going to be a sort of sequels of sequels. But, you know, the uniqueness of 45 years, could, could ease, there could easily be something else that could happen in, in this genre. Why not if 45 years is having this effect? You know, a, yeah. small, a small film with extraordinary roles, you know, extraordinary role for a woman and for a man, you know, in the, in, in the certain later years of their life, which appeals to all ages, which is not just about, el- you know, people of our age. It's, it's about relationships, about love. It's about all the basic things that make us tick, right. you know. Last question is, as someone who's been doing this for as long as you have and just sort of seen the business evolve or, or not, do you find that it's getting easy? Does it get easier with age and experience in this business? 
my my sense is that you are as good as you've ever been and that was I feel that way about 45 years I loved it but you know you hear a lot that it's not it doesn't get easier as you as you get older in this business and and so what's your sense of that well it's my sense is that no it's not true because my the example not I'm not that I'm giving any example but just by what I'm doing it yeah. sort of seems to be disproving something and that but then again I say that you know not not it's not appropriate perhaps to everybody either you do you know what I mean sure it, you can only reference your own experience I, I can guess. only reference my experience I'm the age I am I've had the career I've had I've had the the ups and downs in the career I've done certain you know the certain work I've done good work mediocre work I'm now um you could say by chance things are coming but it is always by chance in a way you you, you know, you jump onto trains, don't you? And the train takes you a while. If you don't jump onto the train, oh, miss that train. So maybe you're going to be waiting for a while. Oh, quite a long while. Well, better make sure that some, you know, be awake next time the train passes and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's a philosophy of life, isn't it, isn't it really? Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much mm-hmm. for coming in and talking about it. And uh, congratulations. I just can't, thank you. can't tell enough people to go watch that performance. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.